Psalm chapter number 34, and we're going to continue our series on standing for Jesus and standing with conviction. This will be the second sermon in the series, and I hope that you'll come with your heart ready and prepared for what God has. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at the first eight verses, the first eight verses of uh, Psalm chapter number 34, and we'll read responsibly. I'll begin in verse 1. We'll begin together in verse number 2. King David wrote this psalm, and he says in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Together, verse 2. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him, and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Well, David here is quite passionate about the Lord, and the whole chapter expresses David's passion. Last week we looked at standing on principles. Today we're going to talk about standing with conviction, and we'll turn our attention to these two words, our passion, our passion. The question this morning is this, what are you truly passionate about? Let's pray. Lord, help us to consider very strongly our own life's choices. And Lord, help us to take a good, strong look inside at what it is we're passionate about. Help us to be honest with ourselves today. Lord, use the truth from Scripture and the preaching of your word to expose where our priorities are out of order, where our life choices are incorrect. And Lord, put us back on track. I do believe that for somebody today with a tender heart that's misguided and misdirected, that's gotten off track, a sermon like this, Lord, could really be monumental and helpful. Help us all, Lord, to come to the, come to the spiritual table with an appetite to be fed truth. Help us to leave here today changed in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I said a moment ago, the question is this. What are you passionate about? Uh, have you ever uh, got into a conversation with someone and didn't know they were passionate about something? And you stumbled on a passionate topic of theirs, and their passion was just a little bit overwhelming? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, I know sometimes I get into a conversation, I make some kind of a statement, and man, that person I'm talking to, they get up on their soapbox, and man, they hit it hard. And when they get done, I say, wow, I didn't know that was that important to you. I didn't know it was that big of a deal to you. And uh, you step back and say, okay, well, that person's passionate about that. Well, I've met some people who are pretty passionate about things. When I was a little boy, we lived in Mississippi, and my mom got involved with a group of ladies in the church on Saturdays, and they would go out doing something called garage sailing. You guys call that different up here. Tag sale. I remember the first time I was in Connecticut, I saw a sign that said tag sale. And I looked at Angela and I said, what is a tag sale? And so we had to go find out. And you know what? We pulled in and I said, this is a yard sale. This is a garage sale. 
And I said, why do they call it a tag sale? So we got out of the car, and I went up to someone, and I said, I'm not from Connecticut. I said, what is a tag sale? What's this about? They said, oh, well, that, that's what you do when you have things you sell. You, know, you put it out in front of your yard, you call it a tag sale. I said, yeah, but why a tag sale? And they said, well, because they put tags that tell you the price. And, boy, I was sorely disappointed. There wasn't a single tag on a single item in the yard. I said, this is not a tag sale. This is a yard sale. Uh, but, man, my mom would go out, and uh, she'd go out with these ladies. And, you know, my dad put an end to it pretty quick because we didn't have a lot of money at the time. And, you know, you ladies come home, and you say, oh, look at all this money I saved. And your husband looks at you and says, well, how much money did you have to spend to save me all that money, right? And uh, that's kind of how it was. And I've learned real fast that a lot of what's sold at these garage sales or tag sales is junk. It's junk. And do you know the statement, one man's trash uh -huh, is another man's treasure? And now yard sales, tag sales are taken to a new level because you can do it digitally. And uh, you can sell things online and, and that sort of thing. Tag sales. Some people are just passionate about, ta about tag sales. How many enjoy going around uh, and checking out the different tag sales and what's for sale out there? Sometimes you do find something really nice at one of those. Some people, though... Take it to a whole other level. Some people are passionate about collecting things. And so for fun this morning, I thought I would interject some fun into the message. I went online and I looked up the most bizarre things that people are passionate about collecting. Check out here, 39-year-old David Adrian... Let's see, he has an Italian name and I'm not Italian. Andri, Andri, Andriani, there you go. David Andriani from Pissarro, Italy. He started collecting Coca-Cola cans when he was 15 years old. His collection includes special edition and commemorative cans from almost every country except Cuba and North Korea. He is the largest Coca-Cola can collector in the world. And that picture doesn't do it justice. When I was a boy, I went and visited somebody who collected Coca-Cola memorabilia. And they had teddy bears. I mean, they had all kinds of coca-cola stuff but uh, man i bet if you sat down with david he'd probably be pretty passionate about his coca-cola collection how about north carolina dermatologist manfred rostian he owns 675 back scratchers <laughs> from 71 different countries how many could use a good back scratcher right now all right uh david uh, i bet um i bet mr uh, manfred if you got into a conversation with him about back scratchers, he'd probably have quite a bit of passionate uh, commentary for you. How about Carol Vaughn, 65 years old from Birmingham, England, has an impressive collection of more than 5,000 bars of soap from all over the world. You know what she has done is she has stayed at 5,000 different hotels. That's what that is. How many of you here, you, you grab everything you can out of the hotel before you leave, and you get everything you can. Don't take the towels. Leave the towels alone. They end up charging you for that. Not that I've ever done it, but so I've been told. But uh, she has collected 5,000 bars of soap. When I was a boy, I'd watch the show DuckTales, and in the intro, um, Scrooge McDuck would dive into coins, and here she is diving into her bars of soap. And so Carol is passionate about soap. I bet she's one clean lady. Um, check out these folks here. They have collected over 30,000 clipped toenails. 
for scientific purposes. Medical research. I bet you they're pretty passionate about toenail clippings. How many of you get aggravated with someone else in your house when they leave their toenail clippings laying around? Isn't that nasty, right? I would never, ever, ever leave my toenail clippings for Angela to clean up. That would never happen. Um, if you see her after church, she might tell you otherwise. Um, some people are passionate about some pretty strange things. You know, um, uh, on a more serious note, some people are really passionate about politics. There's a reason why Pastor Lejeune steers clear of talking about politics as much as possible because people treat politics like a religion. And people are over the top in their opinion about politics. And I've had some of those spirited conversations with some of you in the room. And man, I can see the passion just ooze from your pores when we get on that topic. And I mean, we've got all sorts of political opinions in the room here. Um, someone was telling me that they, when they drive through a neighborhood, they drive down the road through a neighborhood where they can, they, from their car, they look in through the windows of the homes they're passing by to see what's on the TV screens. And someone told me that the most common thing they see on TV screens are CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. It's politics. And America is drunk on politics. And boy, you can find out real fast how much time someone gives to politics based on the conversations that you have with them. It just comes oozing from their pores. And some people are passionate about sports. Sports. We have anybody here that really enjoys sports, watching sports, playing sports? Uh, I have not found White Oak Baptist Church to be a big sports church. I've been a part of some big sports churches where people there are just all about sports. And I mean, I, one church I was in, they had a, you know, we have those fun Sundays like Hawaiian Luau. They did a sports Sunday where you could wear a jersey to church. And man, people came with the most expensive on-field jerseys decked out. And I, I met one guy one time, someone had given me some baseball caps for a particular sports team. And they weren't my style and I didn't really want them. And so Angela posted them on Craigslist or Facebook yard sale. This is when we were living down in Maryland. And this guy contacted us immediately and said, I'll pay you for them. I want them. And, and, and meet me at the gas station you know, around the corner from where you live. And so we drove there. And I'm sitting there in the parking lot with my caps waiting to meet him and, and doing the, the awkward exchange. How many know I'm talking about the awkward exchange? And uh, there I am. And, and I knew when the guy arrived because he pulled up and parked on the other side of the parking lot. But his car was covered in and stickers for that sports team. And he got out, and I mean his pants, his shoes, his jersey, his hat. He had tattoos on his arms and on his neck for that sports team. And I thought, man, that guy's a real fan right there. That guy's passionate, over-the-top passionate. Some people are passionate about sports. Christian, it goes without saying that Christians should be passionate about Christ. Christians should be passionate about Christ. And Christians should be passionate about the things that Christ is passionate about. I propose that a person's passions... Listen closely to this statement. I'm going to read it three times. Because it takes three times to get it through your thick skulls. Amen. You listening? For the people who are asleep, they'll get it through osmosis. I propose that a person's passions drive their decision-making... And those decisions, watch this now, draw a gigantic circle 
around the focal point of who that person really and truly is. Let me read it again. I propose that a person's passions drive their decision-making, and those decisions draw a gigantic circle around a focal point of who that person really and truly is. Again, I propose that a person's passions drive their decision-making, and those decisions draw a gigantic circle around the focal point of who that person really and truly is. When we look at the life of King David in the 34th chapter of Psalm, what we see is a person who is passionate about God. Passionate about God. And so let's jump into our second sermon in the series, Stand with Conviction, and consider this topic, Our Passion. I encourage you to take notes this morning as we go. Notice point number one, passions characteristics. Passions characteristics. Now, uh, how do you define passion? And I found that I looked up the word passion in the dictionary, and there's about four or five, maybe six different definitions. And so what I found is that the word passion is a broad word, and it's hard really to define. So instead of defining the word, let's describe the word. How can you tell what it is that you are passionate about? Notice letter A, our time, our time. David lays out for us what he's passionate about by describing to us how his passion is manifested. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her, speaking of Israel, boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. David was passionate about God. How do we know this? He said, he said all times, all times are the right time to bless the Lord. Look back at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times, all times. David said there isn't ever a time that isn't appropriate to bless the Lord. He said the praises of God will continually, continually be in my mouth. This was an investment of his time. He said my soul shall make or force Israel to boast in the Lord. Hey, Paul, uh, uh, rather David said here, I am so passionate about God and I'm going to give so much of my time to uh, show my passion to God that I will lead the entire nation of Israel to give its time to God as well. David said in verse 3, he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. What was David saying there? He was saying, let's take the time to put a magnifying glass on the Lord. Let's take the time to exalt His name together. He said, I took the time to seek the Lord so that He would hear me and deliver me from all my fears. David's passion was displayed by the way he spent his time. Watch this now. You show me where you give your time, I will show you what you're passionate about. You show me how you spend your time, I will show you what you're passionate about. Let her be notice our trust. How do we characterize passion? How do we, uh, how do we describe passion? Well, it's understood by the way we spend our time. It's also understood by what it is we trust in. Look back at verse number 4 of Psalm 34. The Bible says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me, look here, from all my fears. 
They looked upon me and were lightened. My fears were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. Look here, and saved him out of all his troubles. Why? Because the poor man trusts the Lord. Look at verse number 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth him. By the way, verse 7 definitely supports the case of a guardian angel. A guardian angel. Don't you know that if you fear the Lord, you have a guardian angel? Now, I've seen the way some of you drive. And your guardian, some of your guardian angels have gray hair. Boy, you make that guardian angel work. Amen. How many of you, for other reasons other than just driving, you've given your guardian angel a few gray hairs over the years? Amen. You've really worked that guardian angel. Uh, aren't you glad to know that God gives you If you trust Him, He gives you His protection. Nothing evil happens to you unless God signs off on it. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We'll talk about that later in the sermon. Look at this next phrase. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. David said, I'm passionate. How can you tell that I'm passionate? Look at what I trust. Look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints. For there is no want to them that fear him. Now, here's what I've learned in 33 years of being saved. To the degree I fear God, to that same degree I fear nothing else. When I fear what man can do to me, I'm not fearing that God can protect me. I want everyone to hear this here. The Bible is very clear on this. God gives life. God takes life. In the middle, God sustains life. We don't need to walk around afraid of what could happen to us. Some of you here have gotten the virus, and I feel awful for you. Some of you have really suffered because of the virus. Did you know that God had to sign off on you getting the virus before you got it? Some of you here have gone through some really hard things in your life. If you love God, He's working all things according to your good, Romans 8.28 tells us. My question to you this morning is, do you trust God? Do you really trust Him? Because you're going to be passionate about that thing that you trust. How is passion characterized? It's characterized by who Or what we trust. David said, I faced some things that I could not on my own defeat. There were trials I could not overcome. In these moments, I took my fears to the Lord, and He delivered me from my fears. In verse 7, David confirms that those who trust in God, God rather, have a guardian angel to look after them. How can we characterize passion? Our passion is gauged by who or what we trust. A question for you this morning is this. Are you self Centered. Are you self-centered? That means that you trust in yourself and you probably worship yourself. You then are passionate about you. Is your trust in the government? Then if, if so, when the government breathes out fear and chaos, then your life is filled with fear and chaos. Is your fear in the media? Because when the media breathes out outrage and fear, then your life is filled with outrage and fear. Is your trust in some other person than God, then when they let you down, your life 
will be filled with fear and worry. Now, to be clear, we all need trust in order to make society go. And on some level, we need to be able to trust each other to get by. But our trust first and foremost should not be in a man or a system or or, or anything else. Our trust should first and foremost be in God Almighty. If your trust is in the Lord, then you realize He will never fail you. Why? He changes not. If you fear God, then you never have any reason to fear anything or anyone else. How is passion characterized? Our time, our trust. Notice letter C. David says here, our treasures. Our treasures. Look back at verse verse 9 of Psalm 34. Look there with me. The Bible says, O fear the Lord, ye his saints. Look here. For there is no want to them that fear him. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. That doesn't mean that Christians won't want good things. What it means is you have no desire. You have, rather, you have no need. Your good things are taken care of. They're satisfied in your life. Look down to verse number 22, the last verse of the chapter. The Bible says, The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Our treasures, our treasures... You know, money, money does things for us. Many people are passionate about money. Can I be transparent with you this morning? I don't hate money. And I'm going to guess most of you don't hate it either. How many of you look down at a $100 bill and uh, that someone gives you and say, Ugh, I hate you, Ben Franklin. Right? Now, we're commanded by Jesus to hate money. That's a hard place to get to. He said in Matthew 6, he said about God and money, he said you either love the one and hate the other or you hold the one and despise the other. He said you can't serve both. Why is it that we have such a struggle with money? Well, I wrote some things down here. Money equals stability. Money equals stability. How many of you here at some point in your life, maybe even current, but at some point in your life have lived hand to mouth. You know what it feels like to live hand to mouth, right? You get the paycheck. How many of you here like me have ever been in a place where you needed that direct deposit to hit because you were at a negative balance when it hit? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You know what that feels like? It's not fun, is it? You know what is nice is when that direct deposit hits and you've already got a couple thousand dollars sitting there that's cushioned. It's nice. Money brings about stability. You know what else money brings about? It brings about the supply of necessities. It's nice to have money. We can put groceries in the refrigerator, in the cabinet, put gas in the car. We can pay the insurance, right? It's pretty hard to hate something that helps us to provide for people that we love, provide for our own needs. You know what else money does? Money provides comfort, provides the ability to be comfortable, Ladies, you ever been walking through the mall and saw a nice blouse or outfit or handbag or pair of shoes? And then you checked your bank account balance and you said, you know what, I can buy this and I can still pay my bills at the end of the month. You know what, I think I'm just going to do it. How about you guys? You ever looked at an item that you really wanted and thought, you know, I don't need this, but I sure would like it. Checked the bank and said, you know what, I can buy this and it just isn't going to hurt anything. 
You went forth and you got it. I was picking on a church member here this morning who um, um, is very, very responsible with his money. I won't say his name, but uh, very responsible with his money, very good with his money. And some time ago, he just decided he wanted a zero-turn lawnmower, and uh, he just went out and bought it on the fly. And I told the church, I said, um, this, this person, uh, they don't even cut their lawn all the time. They just go out joyriding. Amen? They just have a great time joyriding on that lawnmower. But, hey, money provides comfort. Money does. I've made, I've, I made light of having heated seats in your car. If you've ever had heated seats, boy, it's a great thing, isn't it? Money provides comfort. You know what else money provides? It provides power. You show me someone with a lot of power, that person probably has a whole lot of money. People love money because it gives them a leg up on seemingly a whole lot of other people in a lot of situations. When our passion is the Lord, listen closely here, when our passion is the Lord, then we do not worry about money or provision because our faith is in God to provide. We don't have to worry about money. Someone wisely said money is a great servant but a horrible boss. Matthew 6 tells us where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, we don't keep checkbook registers. Too many of us don't keep checkbook registers like they did 15, 20 years ago. But you show me the way you spend your money, and I can show you what you're passionate about. If your money's getting spent at the mall, you're passionate about material goods. Your money's being spent on entertainment, you're passionate about being amused and entertainment. You're spending your money on hunting or fishing or, 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 or things of leisure. Your, your entertainment is leisure. You're cutting a check to the church and for the gospel to go forth with the Lord. And your passion is the Lord Jesus Christ. How is passion characterized? We see our time, our trust, our treasure. Notice letter D, our tongue, our tongue. Now, I'm going to let David tell us uh, about passion this morning. I had some other sub-points I wanted to work in here, but boy, David's laying it out for us, so we'll just let him do it instead. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Look here. Seek peace and pursue it. Keep thy tongue from evil. David said, How can I tell what it is that you are passionate about? David says, listen to what is uttered by my tongue. You can tell someone's real passion based on those things with which they like to converse. How many of you can remember being in a conversation with someone and you're trying to take that conversation one direction and the person you're talking to is just not real interested in that topic and so they just kind of give you, you know, shallow generic answers? And so then you start trying to shift to make the conversation work and you find that topic they're passionate about. And oh boy, the floodgates open. And man, as long as you're willing to talk about what they're passionate about, you can talk for hours. You know what I'm talking about? Before I was a pastor, uh, I would talk to people about the Bible. And um, I could find out real fast they didn't want to talk about the Bible. They just weren't interested in that. Now that I'm the pastor, when I try to talk to people about the Bible, they put on a good front and talk to me about the Bible. And so I don't see that anymore. But uh, back, back before I was a pastor, I could tell when someone was spiritually minded. Now, watch this. Watch this. Don't let, me, don't, don't let me lose you here. Stay engaged. Stay engaged. Some people some people come to church and they talk a good game at church. 
But outside of church, they really don't like to talk about the things of God. Let me prove it. Do you ever raise scriptural topics with people at work? Oh, pastor, I couldn't do that. Is it in you? To those of you in high school, got some teenagers in the room this morning, when was the last time that you found another believer at that school and connected with them and talked to them about God and the things of God? You see, if you're passionate about the Lord, you're going to attract other people who are passionate about the Lord, and you're going to talk to them about the Lord. If you're never being attracted to people who are passionate about the Lord, and you never find your tongue conversing about the things of the Lord, then there is a lack of passion about God in you. But what you'll find is what you talk about is what you truly are passionate about. How do we characterize passion? Time, trust, treasure, tongue. These things help us to see what it is we're passionate about. Number one, passion's characteristics. Quickly, number two, passion's categories. Passion's categories. Letter A, godless things. Godless things. I sat down uh, uh, last week. Actually, I started on this sermon last week. And I sat down and I wrote down three categories of which passions could be put under. And uh, the first one I wrote down was things or people that are godless. Look down at verse number 16 of Psalm 34. The Bible says, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Look at verse 21. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Many people in this life are passionate about things that God says as Christians we should despise. Christians give their passion to things that we should hate or loathe. Uh, and this, these lists are not all, in, 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 all encompassing, but let me give you a couple here. Uh, here's an area of godless things or ungodly things. Notice the love of money. The love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They have defected from the faith. They have left the faith. They have become apostate within the faith. Look here. Listen here. It says, And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Love of money. Now, money's not the root of all evil. But the love of money is the root of all evil. Now watch this, Christians. I've seen over the years many, 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 many Christians rationalize love of money as something totally altogether different. Love of money. I've learned that when I don't understand someone's behavior, and someone's behavior just seems bizarre and doesn't make any sense, their actions to me are just way out in left field, I have learned that if you pull back the curtain and you look backstage, what you find is there's a money issue. There's a money issue. Christians love money and their love is not on God, it's on money. And I think the greatest sin of the Christian Western culture church, I think the greatest sin is the attempt to both love God and love money at the same time. And I'm here to tell you, just as Jesus said, it cannot be done. 
You're either going to love God with all your heart and see money as a necessary evil, or you're going to love money with all your heart and you're going to play pretend with God and Christianity. And there are a whole bunch of Christians who will skip uh, church. There are a whole bunch of Christians who will shirk on their service to the Lord. There's a whole bunch of Christians who will shirk on their giving to the Lord through the church. There are a whole bunch of Christians who make all kinds of excuses for all kinds of things. But if we boil it down and we're honest, we love money more than we love God. That's a godless thing, and Christians are passionate about it. You say, well, pastor, how can I tell if that is me? Well, hang on. When we get to point three, I'm going to help you see where your passions really lie, love of money. Here's another one. How about sinful vices? Sinful vices. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul told a group of believers who were very much engaged in things that were carnal and fleshly, he said, what? Almost like, how do you not know this? What? Know ye not that your body, that body of yours, it's the temple or the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost which is in you. And you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your uh, uh, spirit which are God's. Drugs, alcohol, immoral, sexual lifestyle, gambling, the party lifestyle. Many people are passionate about these things, just as David laid out in the 34th Psalm. These passions will be their ruin. Let me give you another one here, fleshly appetites. Fleshly appetites. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good things. Now there are things that our flesh craves that are straight up sinful that the Bible prohibits, but there are other things that the body craves that in moderation are not sinful, but the flesh will take them to an extreme and make them sinful. And people are passionate about this one. Have you ever heard the phrase, some people eat to live and other people live to eat? How many know that phrase? Okay. Christians and Baptists in particular seem to give gluttony a pass. Gluttony doesn't deserve a pass. Gluttony is a sin. You know what gluttony is? It's taking something that is necessary to the flesh to an extreme. Now, I'm not going to make comments on all of these, but let me just read off a list of fleshly appetites that get us in trouble. Overeating, TV and movie binging, oversleeping, being led by one's feelings instead of being led by truth. How about this one? Gossiping, anger, bitterness, wrath. A cursing tongue that takes God's name in vain, backbiting, etc. Paul says, I've learned not to trust the flesh because when I put my faith in the flesh, it gets me in trouble every single time. Many people are passionate about godless things. Notice letter B, good things. Good things. Let me give you some examples of things that are good. All right? And listen, we're, we're tearing up. The, the first tier I laid out for you, godless things, um, uh, that's the lowest level. All right. The next tier up are good things, but the best things we'll give you in letter C. And those are godly things. Don't put it on the screen yet, but if you want to write it down, you can. Right now we're going to look at some good things. Okay. Uh, these things are good. They're, they're good, but they're not the best. All right. Let me give, these, uh, give you several here. And again, these lists, could, you could add... Add to these lists. Here's one, health and exercise. How many think it's important to be healthy and exercise? Raise your hand if you think that's important. It surely is. 
In fact, uh, Paul told Timothy it was. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. I was joking around with the 830 crowd this morning, and I told him, I said, depending on how much you enjoy working out depends on what word you emphasize in that verse. You see, if you hate working out, you say, for bodily exercise profiteth little, little. But if you enjoy working out, you put the emphasis on profiteth. For bodily exercise profiteth, it profiteth. And the truth is, working out and being healthy, it does profit. And Paul says that it profits. And we ought to do our best to take, be good stewards of the flesh that God has given us. Being passionate about being healthy and exercising, there's nothing on its head sinful about that. Let me give you another one here, personal development. Personal development. There are people who enjoy reading self-help books, some Christians, some non-Christian. There are people who um, uh, put in an effort and uh, becoming a better person. And listen, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Are you listening this morning? Ben Franklin, uh, when he was uh, in his early 20s, was walking down the road one day, and a man who was an acquaintance of his saw him at a distance and crossed the street so as to avoid contact with Ben. And he thought, well, that's peculiar. And he got a little further down the road, and he saw another man. And that man also crossed the road to avoid him. And he began to realize... Boy, I'm a smart man, and he was. Ben Franklin had a super high IQ. Ben Franklin was a genius. Ben Franklin didn't have very many social skills. He was very weak with his social skills. So he went home that afternoon, and in his early 20s, he had a friend help give him an honest assessment of himself, and he came up with a list of, I don't remember how many it was, 20 to 30 categories that he needed to improve on as a person. And he spent, he took one of those Every month of his life, for the rest of his life, and he focused on being better in that area. By the time Ben Franklin died, he'd been an ambassador for the U.S. and Europe and had developed incredible people skills. Listen, there's nothing wrong with personal development. In fact, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was a teenager, he focused on personal development. The Bible says in Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom, that's academic improvement, stature, that's physical improvement, and in favor with God, that's spiritual improvement, and in favor with man, that's social improvement. There's nothing wrong with personal development. It is something that is okay for us to be passionate about. Notice this next one, civic involvement. Let me just say here, civic involvement is not watching CNN or Fox News. That is not civic involvement. That's tuning into the gossip hour. Let me just add to that, some of you need to turn off the news. It's okay to be informed. Nothing wrong with being informed. But you get enough to be informed and shut it off. Some of you don't like that, but you need me to say it. Shut it off. Listen, the Bible tells us in Psalm 1, we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And those people who run those news programs, 90% of them or more are not saved. They're on there giving their political opinion, and you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. You're standing in the way of sinners. You're sitting in the seat of the scornful. You need to know what's going on in our country. There's nothing wrong with that. But outside of that, don't let it turn into a, a political gossip hour. Shut it off and read your Bible. Shut it off and pray. Shut it off and tell someone about Jesus. Shut it off and sing and praise the Lord. Shut it off and go be an encouragement to someone. Shut it off and go be a, a good, godly Christian. Turn the news off. Just shut it off. Are you getting it yet? Shut it off. You don't need it. Trust me, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. 
Can I get a witness this morning? But there's nothing wrong with being involved in politics. And when I say that, I mean we need good 1 Peter 2. I won't take the time to read the verses. I encourage you to do that later. We need good godly Christians to run for political office. And um, uh, separation of church and state is not that people with Christian morals and values doesn't mean that people with good Christians and morals and values can't get involved and use their morals and values to better our country. What it means is that the church needs to keep their hand, or rather the government needs to keep their hand out of the church. Civic involvement is a good thing. It's a good thing. Let me give you one more here. This one will really hit home with this, family and friends. Family and friends. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul tells um, uh, Timothy, he says, If any man provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. Uh, Christian, we're to be, uh, we're to be uh, diligent in providing for our family, not only financially, but emotionally and spiritually and mentally, especially you husbands and fathers. You're to walk guard around those that God has called you to protect and provide. Uh, You're to do your part to love on them. You're to be passionate about your family. How about those of you here that maybe don't have a family? How about your friends? The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Friend, uh, it is good to be passionate about your family and friends, but my friend, we are to prioritize those above, letter C, godly things. Godly things. You have your Bibles there in Psalm 34. If you would turn over to chapter 37. Chapter 37 and look at verse number 4. Now, before we read it, we're going to read it all together here in a minute. Before we read it, when I sat down to put the sermon together, I discovered pretty quick that the word passion is not in the Bible. Compassion is in the Bible, but the word passion is not in the Bible. But clearly the concept of being passionate is in the Bible. And so I began to say, Lord, what verses would you lead me to about this concept of being passionate? In the very first verse that shot in my head after I prayed that prayer was this verse right here. Can we read that verse together? You all awake this morning? If you need me to, I can have you stand. No, I'm teasing. Stay seated. All right, some of you get the blood flow and wake you up a little bit. All right, look at verse number four. Let's read it together. Ready? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. All right, let's read one more verse together. Turn back to Psalm 34 and look at verse number eight. Ready? Everybody find it? Let's read it together. Ready? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good... Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I think of those two concepts of delighting in something. Tasting and seeing. You know, I, I delight. I delight in my family. I delight in my friends. You know who else I delight in? I delight in my church family. Everyone in here, I believe I know all of you here. I have some relationship with everyone in the room. Uh, you, you all are my friends. And I love you and I feel that you love me. And boy, I'm thankful for that. I delight in those friendships. I enjoy being around you. I really do. I mean that. You know what I really enjoy? I really delight. I, I, I delight in uh, being around good friends and, 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 and eating good food. I, I do. I enjoy eating good food. And if you had to ask me what my favorite meal was, I would say I enjoy sitting down with a nice juicy steak and a loaded baked potato. I really enjoy that. And um, I haven't forgot you, my friend. 
Um, I enjoy that. And um, cutting into that steak and putting that piece of meat in my mouth and the juice is just spraying all around my mouth. How many of you say, Pastor, knock it off. It's lunchtime and I'm hungry. That's not fair, okay? Um, I'm going to make the steak market uh, wealthy today. You all are going to go out here and buy steaks. Um, you know, the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you taste the Bible? You know, um, metaphorically, we have our eyes and ears to take in the Word of God, and we have our mind to mentally chew on the Word of God. Do you delight in the Lord? Delight thyself also in the Lord. Now, I will say that because the flesh gets in the way, this is an acquired taste. But once you develop that acquired taste, oh man, there's nothing more than I enjoy than sitting down with my Bible and walking with God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hey, there's some areas, Christians, that we should be passionate about. Notice, and I'll go through these quickly. Notice salvation. Salvation. Look at verse number 2 and 3 of Psalm 34. The psalmist says, My soul um, uh, make her boast in the Lord. Notice the uh, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. All right? Uh, in the Bible, um, when you see, in the Old Testament, when you see capital O-R-D, that is uh, referring to God the Father. When you see lowercase O-R-D, at times, it is referring to God the Son. And so, uh, David, is here, David is saying here, My soul uh, uh, shall make her, Israel, boast in the Messiah, in Jesus. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Verse 4, O magnify the Messiah, O magnify the Christ with me, and let us exalt His name altogether. Uh, uh, Christian, we should be passionate about the gospel. It should be a big deal to us, not only that we are saved, but how we use the gospel to influence and push others. Let me give you another one here. Christians should be passionate about Scripture. We looked at Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Let me give you one more here. Christians should be passionate about service, service to the Lord. Psalm 34, look down at verse number 22. The Bible says, The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. The soul of his servants. Boy, God has not called you to sit, soak, and sour. He's called you to get saved and serve, to be a servant of the Lord, to get busy doing the work of the Lord. The night is uh, drawing... Uh, uh, to an end, and Jesus is coming back, and our work will be done. Someone looked at me the other day and said, Pastor, you look tired. And a little bit later in the day, someone said, Pastor, you look tired. And a third time, someone said, Pastor, you look tired. And I looked at him and said, there will be plenty of time to rest when I get to heaven. We have a work to do. We need to get busy serving the Lord. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about godless things? You need to get your heart right with the Lord. Are you passionate about good things? Or are you most passionate about godly things? Put that quote up there on the screen for me. I encourage you to write this down somewhere. The enemy of the best is not usually the worst, but most often the good. You see, Christians, Satan will settle with good if he can keep you from best. Satan will keep you from good if he can keep you from godly. You know what churches are full of in America? 
Churches are filled with good people that are not godly people. We're busy loving on our family and friends at the expense of doing what's godly. We're busy being involved in politics at the expense of serving in the church. We're we're busy running around and uh, personal development so we can grow at work and climb the corporate ladder. But we're not busy sharing Jesus with the lost and dying world. If Satan can't get you to fall into sin and a godless lifestyle, he'll settle, Christian, with you being passionate about things that are good, but not godly. Let me give you another quote here this morning. We must learn to prioritize and eliminate. You know, Jesus said that if any man hates not as... He lists off those family members. Brother, sister, father, mother, spouse... He's not worthy to be called my disciple. And I'm paraphrasing the verse. But that's the spirit of the verse. You know what that means? That means that my love for godly things and my passion for godly things is so far above my passion for good things like my family that my family begins to question whether or not I really even love them. No, I'm not preaching neglect. I'm preaching a higher passion for godly things. We've seen, number one, passion's characteristics. Number two, passion's categories. Let me finish the sermon this morning with a visual illustration. Number three, passion's circle. Passion's circle. Many people, boy, they know how to talk a good game. Talk is cheap. They give lip service to being a good Christian, but their lifestyle points to a passion far different. Whether or not you realize it, my friend, your life is drawing a gigantic circle around those things that truly have your passion. And that circle does not lie. You see, Lot, Lot talked a good game with Uncle Abraham. Lot claimed to be a good man, but Lot's life circled something totally different. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6-8, through 8, while you're looking at the screen, the Bible says, uh, "...in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy lifestyle or conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and in seeing and hearing, vexed, with righteous, vexed his righteous soul day to day with their unlawful deeds." You see, Lot told Uncle Abraham, he said, "...I love." the Lord. Lot told Uncle Abraham, I'm a godly man. And yes, Lot was saved, but Lot's life and his decision making circled something altogether different. You see, when Lot and Abraham parted ways, Lot pitched his tent toward the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot settled in by sojourning and then abiding in that city. And Lot sold his soul to his fleshly appetites. Lot sold his soul to his family and his friends. And Lot lost his soul. Not to hell, but to a godless life. You see, Lot would end up living out his life in a cave, becoming drunk and impregnating his own daughters. Lot's life drew a gigantic circle around fleshly appetites. How about Moses? Moses. 
From a young age, Moses' passion was service to God and God's people. Hebrews 11, 24 through 29. Listen as you look at the screen. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He says about Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. It goes on to say, by faith, he forsook, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the for he endured as seeing him who is invisible through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest uh, he that destroyed the firstborn should touch him by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land which the Egyptians is saying to do were drowned you see from a very young age Moses' parents raised him to revolve his life around service to God and when Moses looked you in the eye and said I am passionate about serving God it wasn't just talk his life and his decision making his time, his trust, his treasure, and his tongue all pointed to the godly things of serving God. How about Judas? How about Judas? You see, we know Judas' story. He was chosen by Jesus to be a disciple, but the whole time he was a pretender. Tonight, in Acts chapter 1, we'll look more closely at the life of Judas but we learned that he was skimming money off the top of the bag. He was the treasurer for the disciples and he was embezzling funds and he bought himself a farm with that money where at the end of his life, because of his poor choices, he would sell out Jesus for 30 measly pieces of silver and his love of money would be his demise. Judas would take his own life, fall from that rope, and his guts would burst asunder on the rocks below. You see, Judas, he claimed to be a good man. He claimed to be a good Christian, but his life revolved around money. How about Paul? You see, Paul's life began revolving around religiosity, but then he got saved. And Paul's life began to revolve around a new focal point. Philippians 1.21 Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Once Paul got saved, his life's passion, his tongue, his time, his treasure, uh, uh, his, his labor, his life revolved around one thing, and that was not only the gospel as it involved him, but the gospel as it involved anyone and everyone that would listen. He planted churches. He preached the gospel when it was popular, when it was unpopular. In fact, his life involved around it, and he was so passionate about it, it led to him being beaten and starved and shipwrecked and he spent a night and the day in the deep, he had lashes on his back, and it would end up costing him his life as he would be beheaded. He would give his life for Christ. You see, people can talk all they want, but your life is revolving around your true passions, whether you realize it or not. And so I bring... The question to you. What is in the center of your circle? What are you talking about? 
How do you spend your money? You can talk a good game. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows. What's in the center of that circle? Are they godless things? You stuck on alcohol, drugs. You say, Pastor, I, I'm in that habit and I can't help it. Okay. Well, there's a battle there. I get it. I'm not here to throw stones at you. I get it. Look, I totally understand. And, and a, a compassionate pastor I am, I will do everything I can. If you're willing to fight, I'll be right by your side to help you fight that battle. There's people in this room who can vouch that I will stand by your side if you want to fight, and I will fight that battle with you. Godless things. Is that where you spend your time and your money? Good things. You see, many, many, many Christians don't have time for godly things because they're passionate about good things and they have their priorities all out of whack. I want you to take just a moment and look at that question mark and I want you to answer the question, what fits in the center of my circle? What am I passionate about? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Christian, what lies in the center of your passion circle? Do you have your priorities in order? One day when persecution does hit the American Christian, if godly things are not at the center of your circle, you won't take a stand. You won't. You won't. You won't stand for Jesus. But you will stand if what you're passionate about comes into jeopardy into play. Only the Spirit of God can reveal to you what's in the center of that circle. I have two questions for you this morning. Number one, will you allow the Spirit of God to tell you within your spirit what's there? And number two, will you submit your heart and make the changes necessary if He shows you? You see, Jeremiah talked about the potter and the potter's wheel and the clay. Are you willing to let God mold your passions? Because that involves real changes. It involves changes to your schedule. It involves changes to what and who you trust and how much time you spend with God. It involves changes to how and where you spend your money. It involves changes with how you speak. you willing to let God make those changes within you? Boy, I've ratcheted up the passion on Sunday mornings because it's time for American Christians to wake up. How many of you here would say with your heads bowed and eyes closed, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord has showed me some things at the center of the circle of my passion that needs to go. There are some things that need to replace what's there. Pastor Lejeune, pray that God will give me the courage to make those changes. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? Pastor, there's some things that just aren't godly. They're good maybe, but they're not godly. I've got ch- Hold them up. I've got changes I need to make. Christian, it's time to get real with the Lord. You know what was at the center of His passion circle on that cross was you. And now He deserves to be at the center of your circle. Lord, would you please do a great work in our church this morning? Would a sermon like this be what's necessary to get someone back on track? 
may it be a wake-up call for many. May this not just be another sermon on a Sunday morning. May this be a, a fire that's lit under someone to head in the right direction. Oh Lord, help us to be people who are passionate about you. In Jesus' name.